Welcome to Season 3 of White Shores, the podcast for spiritual beings having a human experience. Let me invite you to walk once more beside me on White Shores to talk about the real meaning of life. Let's discuss dreams, rituals, intuition, angels, the afterlife and other infinite possibilities within and all around you. Season one featured interviews with some of the world's leading scientists researching consciousness. Season two focused on honest practitioners. And the theme of this season three is regeneration, rising like a phoenix from the ashes of confusion, pain and loss. I hope every episode offers you much needed comfort, inspiration, hope, and perhaps even a little joy during these challenging times. So, now the scene is set, allow the grey rain curtain of this world to roll back and all to turn to silver glass. Let's walk barefoot on the gentle, glistening sands of white shores and pause a while to gaze at the horizon to see what magic lies beyond the material. Thank you for arriving safely on White Shores, a far green country under a swift sunrise. My guest today is a visionary who can take you to the stars and back. It's a truly expansive interview, traveling to places few have gone before. We are going to be talking about humanity's adventures in space astronauts, walking on the moon, and the spiritual implications for what is being discovered out there. I hope every interview on White Shores ignites your curiosity, but this one certainly will. After talking to him, I couldn't wait to find out more. I've always been in awe of astronauts, but for some reason, I've never thought of them outside that heroic role. I've not thought about their personality, their star signs, their motivations. Did you know there's one recurring star sign among astronauts who have been to the moon? Before you listen to this interview, see if your intuition can tell you what that sun sign is. Don't be tempted to Google now. It's utterly fascinating. And also, why was the mission to the moon named after the sun? Apollo. After this interview, I promise you, you'll never think of space travel or astronauts or look at the moon in quite the same way again. As I said, I truly hope this interview ignites your curiosity and challenges your preconceptions. I often say that as long as you are learning, you are living a deeply spiritual life. Yes, spirituality is about love, connection, kindness, and finding inner peace. But if there's one quality that is essential for a spiritual seeker, it's curiosity. As long as you're curious, you are keeping an open mind and growing in spirit. Do bear with me in the interview if the sound quality from my guest's mic isn't quite as sharp as I would hope but he was in a remote location, totally in keeping with the space travel theme of this episode. 
And please do stay tuned after the interview as I'll continue that spaced out theme by talking about transcendent experiences from the perspective of astronaut Edgar Mitchell, who had a transcendent experience following a space mission and actually found that experience more fascinating than outer space. There'll be a little music there as well in the background. Thanks to, thanks to my son and Royal College of Music scholar, Robert, who is also producing this podcast. So, if you are ready for launch, it's time now to blast into space. T minus five, T minus four, T minus three, T minus two, T minus one. Stay tuned. If you would like to find out more about my books, warning, I'm a serial spiritual writer, as well as my features, media, mission and talks, please do visit www.theresachung.com and subscribe to my newsletter for updates as well as free gifts and incredible stories to your inbox. If you have any questions, insights or stories to share, please email me at my trusty angeltalk710 at aol.com email or message me via my author pages on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. I aim to reply to everyone in due course. Season 1 of White Chores can be found on the podcast page of my website and all seasons can be found wherever you download your podcasts. Be honoured and grateful if you could leave a review as it helps spread the word that spirit is real. Walking beside me today on White Shores is an astrologer and a cosmic compass. After our interview, you may never think of or look at the moon, sun and stars in quite the same way. His name is Philip Sabul, and he is a trustee and a writer for the Gaia Foundation, an international London-based NGO which has been working for 35 years with indigenous people to uphold earth-centered perspectives. He runs Umuthu Microfinance, an NGO that he set up in 2010 to provide small-scale loans to disadvantaged women in Malawi. He holds a Master's in Myth, Psychology, Cosmology and the Sacred with Distinction from Canterbury Christchurch University, and, has been, and he has been a dedicated student of astrology for many a solar return. He was born at night under a crisp February full moon. In his recent unconventional unconventional but brilliant book called Scavengers of Beauty, he explores the symbolism behind the 1969 landing on the moon. More than 50 years after this seminal event, and whilst the moon is attracting renewed interest, he offers a bold new interpretation of the iconic Apollo mission. How exciting. And it was so suitable that as I was introducing him, I heard a plane going over. It was like the skies were calling to me already. Hello, Philippe. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here, but it looks like the sky is interfering somehow, indeed. <laughs> very, very happy to be here. Anyway, thank you. As an astrologer, what can you say about the current uncertainty and pain gripping the world? Is it written in the stars? Will there be a turning point? Well, what was um, what was written in the stars was that there uh, was going to be a difficult um, conjunction um, in 2020 between two major planets, um, Pluto and, and Saturn. 
uh, in the sign of, of Capricorn, which is the sign of uh, symbolizing structures and in particular the structures of, of power, uh, of business, um, of the fabric of society, really. So many astrologers were expecting 2022 turn out to be extremely challenging. Now, very few of them um, could actually literally um, anticipate that it would take the form of a, of a little virus. Um, one of them is actually a French, uh, a French astrologer called André Barbeau, um, who, who in fact predicted several years ago that 2020 would, would see a pandemic. Uh, but it's kind of an exception. But what was generally accepted was that 2020 would turn out to be extremely challenging uh, in particular for, for the structure of society. And I think we have seen all of us that this, this little, this little virus has indeed, uh, totally shaken, um, the way we work, the way we live really, and, uh, and the way society is organized in a sense. Absolutely. Um, it, it's little, but massive, uh, impact on, on every one of us really. Yeah. You would have thought, but you do think it was kind of written in the stars. It, there was signs that this was going to going to happen. Well, I, 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 th I think we have to um, differentiate between uh, the symbol and um, and the actual manifestation of the symbol. So, what was definitely written in the sky was symbolically um, a challenge, a major challenge to say, let's call it to the structures of society. Now to take the next step and literalize and say, this is going to take the form of a pandemic or a, of, of, or a virus, that's, well, as I say, one, one astrologer did make that prediction a few years ago, but it's, it's, it's the difficulty, I suppose, with astrology and, uh, and the, the, the fine line between being able to, to see, to read the symbolic patterns and to actually um, concretize that and literalize it and say this is going to take this particular form. Personally, I don't really believe that astrologers can do that. What they can do is read and anticipate the symbolic patterns. But the next step being to actually see which form it's going to manifest is, I think, um, actually pretty much outside the remit of of. of astrologers, even though many astrologers, especially in the past, not so much now, but in the past, many astrologers were tempted to actually, you know, come up with the famous line, you will meet a, a tall, dark stranger. Wow. Um, thank you. Now, we're going to talk about your book and your interpretation of the Apollo mission in a moment. But in, in the book, I noticed you weave your personal story into the narrative. So for people who don't know you, are new to your work and who you are, all they know at the moment is that you are clearly a very skilled astrologer. Can you share some of your story and, and where your love of the stars came from? Yeah, um, I mean, I really started uh, life in a very, let's call it conventional way without uh, putting any judgment on that. But um, I just grew up in, a, let's call it a conventional family. I studied business and economics, and I started to work in, uh, in the oil industry. Um, so all, all pretty uh, familiar pattern, really. But then when I was 42, uh, a kind of um, traumatic event uh, happened in which basically without going into 
too many details because it's a long story, but basically a lawsuit was brought against uh, the company I used to work with, and I was I was caught in the in the in the maelstrom, if you want, in the in, in the whole story, and I spent three days in in Paris being interrogated, um, and even though in the end nothing happened and I was cleared of of any wrongdoing, those three days uh, for me were really um, again symbolically very potent, very powerful, and they basically. Uh, gave me a sign that it was time for me to change my life completely. So I immediately left uh, the oil industry and started on a very different journey indeed that that led me to astrology, among other things. Um, so what I look at in the, in the, in the book is the parallel um, between this journey of mine where I symbolically, symbolically see that the first 42 years of my life were, pay, uh, were lived under the, uh, the symbol of the sun uh, in the sense of being quite uh, masculine and, 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 and uh, um, going along the, the, the values of, of our patriarchal society, if, if you want to put it that way. And then those three days, I really look at those three days as the three days in the underworld, which really is, is a very archetypal pattern. And, and those three days in the underworld, darkness, if you want, match um, the three days of the dark moon. And, and after those three days, symbolically, I look at myself as being reborn as the moon, if you want. And um, it's not very easy to, ex- to explain in a few sentences. Um, but that's the general idea. And then I look at the Apollo mission and, and wondering aloud, why was it called after the god of the sun and not after uh, the goddess of the moon, which would have been maybe more logical. And I find the same pattern that that mission to the moon can be seen either as a, as a, as a sun solar expedition and carrying all the values of our solar patriarchal society or it can be seen as the sacred marriage between sun and moon. So I know it might sound a bit, a bit confusing and it's, it's not that easy to explain in a, in a few words, but, but basically um, I'm really looking at the symbolism of the Apollo mission and I make a parallel with my own life. Um, but of course this parallel is, is only valid for me. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not truth it's just a, a symbolic take, if you want. No, I, I, my, my listeners are very spiritual beings, aren't you, listening out there? And you will, it, I know it's hard to describe this, but what you're saying makes perfect sense spiritually. Mm. I, I do understand. Thank you. And also, I, I, I appreciate that you said that your new direction, your spiritual quest was kind of born out of crisis, personal crisis and struggle. Yeah. And disillusionment with the material world or where your life had currently been heading yeah and that's often a theme isn't it for spiritual awakening and it's a theme actually of this third season of this podcast so thank you so much just as an aside you talking about journeys into space with Apollo and that's what your book's about have you um connected with the Institute of Noetic Sciences which was founded by an astronaut and it's noetic meaning they study consciousness and the inner world. There's a team of scientists there, material from the material world, studying yeah. paranormal experiences, spirituality. And Edgar Mitchell, he went to space 
And then on the way back, he had an out-of-body experience, and he found that actually more fascinating than his journey into space. I wondered if you'd connected with them in any way. Well, I, I, of course, know know of them, and I I attended once in London. I think it was um, maybe three years ago. Um, there was a, there was a conference over over a weekend on on consciousness, and somebody from the uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences was there and made a made a speech. So I, I attended that, but I'm not uh, more. I haven't been more connected than that uh, to the, uh, to to their work. Uh, but indeed, I think it's a, it's a very uh, it's a very interesting work that they're doing and trying to to tread the fine line between uh, between science and spirituality, really. Yeah, showing the gap is closing fast. And you are connected now because season one is all my interviews with the team there. <laughs> so mm. you are connected now through um, <laughs> through this podcast. Um, now, as you say, the landing on the moon does seem to symbolise the triumph doesn't it, of consciousness, rationality, science and technology, yeah. but it's on the moon. Can you talk more about that? I love this beautiful way you talk about the marriage between sun and moon, kind of hidden in the narrative of your book. Yeah, I, I've, I've been I've been trying to kind of draw uh, a very, in, in very broad, large broad, um, strokes, paint strokes. I've been trying to paint a picture of the evolution of consciousness um, for for humankind and of, it's a very uh, <laughs> it's a very challenging attempt and I'm again I'm not pretending to come up with the truth but I've been looking at the evolution of consciousness through sun and moon symbolism and what I've seen is that at the very dawn of humanity if you want the moon was the main object in the sky and and there was this moon consciousness which was which was maybe more about um, the, the great goddess, uh, the great goddesses of Earth and Moon, actually, uh, and, and maybe a more, uh, in some places, more matriarchal consciousness. Um, and when we look at the old uh, artworks of that period, say 20,000 years ago, uh, very often it's, it's about big, big women, great goddesses being uh, sculpted or, or represented. So I see this this kind of lunar consciousness um, evolving over thousands of years until until uh, four to five thousand years ago when suddenly um, the sun superseded the moon as the main object in the sky. And this has been pointed out by, by you know, Joseph Campbell, for instance, or, or, or other symbolists. Um, and suddenly the earth goddesses were replaced with male sky gods. In, in Greece, for instance, uh, Zeus is, 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 um, is, is the main re- representation of that. So what I've seen is the in evolution of consciousness of humanity, we have moved from a, a more lunar consciousness uh, to a solar consciousness, which took, took hold, say, 2000 BC, roughly. Uh, although it's it's much more uh, fluid than that, and we have been living in uh, within this solar consciousness ever since, and of course uh, with the um, scientific revolution, uh, we have been entrenched even more in this solar consciousness, which is really a way to describe a way to look at reality through the lens of reason, rationality, uh, science, uh, technology. Um, so that's why I, I, I feel that 
the mission to the moon was aptly named after the god of the sun because indeed it is the sun the, the sun rules supreme so it was quite logical to um to name that mission which was really a, a very technological a scientific mission to name it after Apollo, which has come to symbolize uh, reason and rationality and excellence and professionalism, uh, embodying all the qualities um, that we that our society is is really um, carrying. But uh, what I'm offering in the book is, is there might be another way to look at that. And instead of seeing uh, the god of the sun, uh, Apollo, landing on the moon as the defeat of the moon, as a conquest. Maybe we can look at it as the sacred marriage. Uh, Apollo, god of the sun, goes to the moon, and in that um, in that meeting, we we find uh, the union between sun and moon. And then, of course, then we come to alchemical imagery, for instance. And this union between sun and moon gives birth to the divine child. And the way I look at it is, this divine child is Earth. And therefore. For me, the real message of the moon uh, of the moon mission is not so much about the moon; it's about Earth, and it is symbolized by this image of Earth, this picture of Earth floating in space that the uh, that the Apollo astronauts have come back with. Uh, we have been able, for the first time, to look at Earth from the outside, from a vantage point which is much more um, uh, much further away than we than before. Uh, and by looking at Earth in her totality in space, we our consciousness has evolved. So that's the main premise, really. Thank you for that that bigger picture, that wonderful perspective. I had not thought of it that way. That initially our focus was the moon, and then the sun became everything. And then the, this is a really fascinating way to look at it. Truly, as above. As below. Thank you. Thank you, Philippe, for that. And also giving birth to the divine child Earth. Yeah. And so kind of the real mission to the moon, message mission to the moon was about knowing Earth for the first time, maybe seeing it. Absolutely. In yeah. that in that way. Absolutely beautiful. Um, can we just return a bit to astrology now? Because you are so, so knowledgeable about that. And um I, in the book, you also share some intriguing things about the astronauts who went to the moon, what their sun signs were. Yes. Yeah. Um, as I said, I would have expect I would expect them all to be fire signs, you know, and heading out there. But but it's not that, is it? Can you no. share what their sun signs are and talk about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's. Um, I realize to be because to be. Uh, um, perfectly honest, I, did, I didn't know that much about um, about uh, the, the, the different Apollo missions to the moon. And what I realized is there were six six missions um, successfully landing on the moon with two astronauts each time. So that makes twelve astronauts, twelve moonwalkers. And when I realized that, I thought, ah, twelve. Of course, that's a very interesting number for astrologers because it immediately calls for the, the twelve signs of the zodiac. So I looked into the uh, astrological charts of all 12 moonwalkers and I thought, ah, that'd be interesting if all the, all 12 signs were represented on the moon. And otherwise, short of that, uh, like you, I was expecting fire signs, um, Aries, Sagittarius and Leo to be the, uh, the most prevalent signs because indeed the fire, the, we, we expect um, Aries, uh, Aries, for instance, as the uh, 
the soldier, the, the conqueror, and Sagittarius as the explorer. And, but it turned out that only one astronaut uh, had a, a sign in, in fire, and, but very um, to the point, it was the first one. It was Neil Armstrong himself uh, was a Leo. And the interesting thing is that Leo, of course, is a, is a sign that likes to, to shine, uh, its essence is, is shining. It's a sign ruled by the sun, which also symbolically is very interesting. The first man on the moon had the sun, had, had the sun sign ruled by the sun. Um, huh. But uh, the interesting thing is that Neil Armstrong, in a sense, has taken all the limelight. Uh, almost nobody, I think, knows about the other moonwalkers. And the other one who's well-known is Buzz Aldrin as his second-in-command. But really, when we think about the moon landing, we, we think about Neil Armstrong. And it was not his own doing. He was quite uncomfortable, actually, with the exposure, which is interesting. Um, but therefore, there was only one astronaut with a, a sun sign in, in fire, and it, will, it was Neil Armstrong in Leo. Now, what was the main sun sign? That came as a surprise, complete surprise to me. And it was Pisces. Pisces is the last sign of the zodiac, and is not usually associated with exploring or, 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 or being uh, particularly proactive in that sense uh, or pragmatic. It's, uh, Pisces is more associated with actually spirituality, but also with, with the art and with a, a rather um, fluid nature. Um, but actually 25% of the astronauts um, working on the moon were Pisces. And then I realized that in the first NASA program, which was called Gemini, um, seven astronauts were part of this program, and three of them, almost 50%, were Pisces as well. And so was Yuri Gagarin, the first, uh, the Russian, you know, who was the first man in, uh, in orbit. He was also a Pisces. So I thought, well, what's going on here? Why, why is Pisces so pre prevalent among the early astronauts? So, yeah, part of the book is trying to explore, uh, to explore this. And... Um, what I came up with, I suppose, is that, of course, Pisces has this, um, Pisces looks up to the sky um, very much so in uh, trying to reconnect to the source. And in our, in our culture, the source is up there in the heavens, uh, at least in our Christian culture. Um, so then I looked at the astronauts in space themselves and how they reacted to being in space. And then I found out that a number of them, especially the Pisces Sun astronauts, had quite profound spiritual experiences. Uh, I have to add that I, I am a Pisces myself and I would love to go up there. So I think there is a, a, a kind of affinity between the, between the sign and, and, and floating high above where things everything becomes a bit more... Uh, a bit idealized. You look down at Earth, she looks beautiful. You don't see conflicts. You don't see, you know, hardship. It's, uh, it's, it's all very, uh, a very ideal image and soothing image as well. So I think that uh, fits the nature of, of Pisces. So interesting. Because for me, it kind of, now I think about it, it makes perfect sense because Pisces is kind of like got all the knowledge of all the other signs because being the final one. It's kind yes. of like the completion and all the Pisces, Pisceans I know. And if I met you, I'm sure it'd be the same. When you speak to them, they are, there is this dreamy, otherworldly, they're not 
fully they are present but there's a part of them that's somewhere yeah and um that is really interesting so maybe that part is out there in the stars and in space (laughs) yes absolutely. dreaming um how interesting and it must have been amazing for you to find that out as well that you were drawn to explore this and yet you you were a pisces too like many of these astronauts were um must have been a yes moment (laughs) yeah i i think it's it's, uh, something i try to look into in the book as well is um when we engage in something very often what we meet it is ourselves actually so i know it's a, it's a very it's a very fine line but at some point i wonder have i uncovered this pisces pisces signs in the astronauts because i'm a pisces myself if if i had been i don't know taurus maybe Maybe I would have looked elsewhere and found and found Taurus. If you if you follow me, it's 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 very, in a way, it's a very subtle um, and and not easy to to grasp. And uh, myself, I'm I'm not sure I grasp it at all. Uh, but it's it's just uh, about asking the questions very often. And and it's the same with the moon landing and and my book on the moon landing. And that's why I bring my personal story because I think by looking into the moon landing symbolically i'm really looking into myself and my own fabric you know so when i talk about the sun moon sacred marriage of the mission i'm really looking for my own sacred marriage sun and moon so and that- I, I believe everyone who reads your book can find a part of themselves through reading it as well through your journey and what your you know the brilliant innovative fresh new take you're bringing to the apollo mission I think more people need to know about this, Philly. Mm. It's it's very very exciting approach. I don't think I've encountered it before, um, mm. and that was I, I was excited to to talk to you today. Mm. Also excited to talk to you. I think I've had one other astrologer on here, but you you I think you are the second. And um, astrology is something I'm I've always been very drawn to. I was brought up in that kind of environment. Do you use it in your daily life now, or? Is it something that when you meet people, you want to know their signs? Um, um, can I, I, you guess I, what, what sign I am just from talking to me? I mean, are you able to do that? <laughs> How does course, it help you? Of course you are an Aries. <laughs> Aren't you? Bull at the gate, yeah. <laughs> That's tourism. Well, no, Graham at the gate and horns, yes. It's <laughs> trying to open doors, yes, and a terribly yeah. good intention, Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just upset there aren't more Aries that went to the moon. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Arians, if you're listening out there, get your act together. Part of the problem is lack of organisation and follow through. Yeah, I'm talking to myself there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so going back to, to to people listening, you know, knowing their sun sign, how can that empower them? Well, um, as I often say for myself. Astrology has really given me uh, a context for my for my life and for my own unfolding. So in a sense, it's been more valuable as a tool to understand the past and my journey than a tool to um, 
let's call it predict the future because that's I think that's the, very often the confusion and that's due to astrologers themselves, especially in the past. The confusion is that astrology is associated with predicting the future, which really for me is not. It's not about predicting the future, at least not in a literal way. Again, it's about having a symbolic understanding of what's happening uh, in the sky and, and how it affects us uh, individually and collectively as well. So I do use astrology, of course, quite, quite a lot, not necessarily on a daily basis. I don't really micromanage my life uh, astrologically, but I look at the, big, at the bigger picture, um, like there is a, a technique called the, the solar return, which basically you, you cast the chart on the day of your birthday or when the sun comes back to its position uh, at the time of birth or the day of your birthday, say, and that gives you a flavor for the year to come. And I've always found this technique extremely valuable because indeed every time uh, I, I noticed that uh, that chart was extremely valid and was really uh, telling me in symbolic ways what uh, the year would, uh, would, would bring for me. Well, challenges or maybe just the, um, the archetypal energies I would be working with and in which so areas... You, you, you feel very much, I guess, how I approach it, that it's a great tool for self-understanding, for, for awareness of understanding yourself better, which is the journey of all our lives, really, isn't it? Yeah. Understanding us, just like the mission to the moon, see yeah. the earth for the first time. Our life is to understand ourselves. It's an ongoing process, yeah. isn't it? We're constantly surprising ourselves. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's uh, as, as I say in the book, for me, astrology, it's not, it's not a superstition superstitious tool to predict the future it's it's an ethical practice to co-create it and, and therefore to engage with the symbol to engage with the archetype in order to better understand ourselves and and whatever unfolds in our life yeah oh that's so eloquently put thank you as i would expect from a piscean and i actually love the symbolism of this and that i'm aries the start of the zodiac and you end it so you've got everything here, people listening. You've got the beginning and the end. You're the middle, filling it all in. That's Thank it. you so much. Where can people order this book and where can people find out about you, Philippe? Well, they can they contact can... you? Is there a contact email or anything like that? Yeah. Um, the book is actually going to be officially released uh, on the 28th of August, 2020 and um, can be found on all the usual platforms online, um, Amazon and the rest. It's also available as an ebook. Uh, and as for me, um, I, I, I put that in the book at the end as well, but uh, people can get in touch with me uh, by email and, uh, as scavengers of beauty in one word at gmail.com. And I'd be really happy to... Uh, to, to um, get in touch with anybody who wants to. So um, that's scavengersofbeauty at gmail.com. Yeah. And it, it, you're happy for people to to contact you, to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to reach. Thank you so much. That's very generous of you. And thank you for a brilliant interview. And I can't let you go without my usual request for a, a movie recommendation. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe with spiritual themes or tying in with your book that you feel you know, touches mm -hmm. on things in your book, anything that you, you can recommend to leave. I like to listeners to have something to go away, to check out that you've recommended. Yeah. Um, I've been 
when I, I think about the last few years, I think the, the one thing that has really uh, left a, a mark on me is, I think it was released two years ago, and it's about Mary Magdalene. Uh, and it was Rooney Mara playing the playing the, the lead part, and therefore the film was exploring the relation between Mary Magdalene and uh, and, and Jesus Christ. Uh, and I thought it was uh, a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, and I really liked the way the image of Magdalene has evolved uh, in the last uh, decades, really. Um, Do I sense the theme for your next book? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, maybe, but we, we talked about Pisces a lot, and of course, Pisces and Christianity have, have been closely associated. Um, exactly. So, I think um, Christ, if, if you, you know, the astrologers have looked at it, that he potentially was a Pisces too, wasn't he? Or, well, know, officially, he's a Capricorn, isn't he? Because he was born of... Yeah, they say that his birthday may actually have been April, so he may be an, have been an Aries. Look, <laughs> there's all sorts of speculation yeah, based on yeah. the star of Bethlehem, what mm-hmm. that actually could have suggested. And I think it's it's sometime in early April, actually, or end of March. I'm, I'm not sure because they know that it wasn't December because that was the pagan solstice, wasn't it? Festival? Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I think the, the... the winter solstice, sorry, the winter getting the sun back. And, and yeah. there has been speculation, of course, nobody knows, but that, that that star, that constellation that the wise men followed could well have been around March, potentially early April. There, but there is there is debate about that, and I guess we'll never know, but it's so interesting. And could yeah. you just give one recommendation, actually, because you talked about Neil Armstrong, fascinating person. Yeah. And I, I can imagine, you know, you go to space and then you come back to Earth. What do you do with the rest of well, your life after you've done that? Yes. That, um, is, there a, is there a documentary or film about him that you could maybe open people's eyes about this man? Well, misunderstood, I would think. He's, he's quite elusive. And as I say, he was quite uncharacteristically, in, in, in a sense, for a Leo. Um, he was really shying away from from exposure. So, he ne- he, for instance, he never wrote an autobiography, while most at- astronauts did. Uh, there is a biography, uh, authorized biography of him, um, which is um, I forgot who wrote it, but it's easily available, and, and so therefore it shed light on on his life. But what I find is Buzz Aldrin. If, if people want to know a bit more about the psychology of astronauts, and as you very rightly say, what do you do when you come back to Earth after landing on the moon and you're 39? And this is a question that Buzz Aldrin has been asking, and, and very poignantly, because as he confesses himself, he has struggled with alcoholism for years after coming back to, to Earth. Um, and I think his autobiography called Magnificent Desolation is, is, a, is a very interesting take and, uh, and, and a very personal and poignant um, look at his life and, uh, and what it did to him to, to, to be this, um, to, to land on the moon. Oh, thank you, Philip. I've been greedy there, getting two recommendations for you, but thank you so much for all the, the work that you do, enlightening us and shining a, a light on, on um, the Apollo mission and astrology. Thank you so much, Philip, and I do hope everyone checks out Scavengers of Beauty, published in August 2020. Exciting. Thank you, Teresa, and thank you for having me and for giving me the opportunity to to, to, to present my work. Hopefully it will resonate with, with a few people. 
thank you from my heart for being here and walking beside me in spirit on white shores. Sensitive, kind and compassionate souls like you who see beyond the material are needed more than ever today to help the world heal. Thank you to Clan Re for the blissful episode music and do check out the show notes for all details about this episode and my contact details. I'm going to say goodbye for now with a musical or literary offering, a piece of heaven for you to take away and store in your heart as you return refreshed to your one precious life. Until we meet again on these white shores, keep being amazing spiritual you, sending my eternal love and gratitude. Truly hope you found that interview fascinating. I hope it ignites your curiosity about outer space, but also your inner space. And that's why I felt it was only fitting at the end of this interview, rather than the usual musical and literary offering I give, to talk about someone who quite literally embodied that marriage between outer space and inner space. And that man is Edgar Mitchell, the visionary astronaut who walked on the moon and who I've admired for a few years now, ever since I collaborated with the visionary science team at IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Noetic refers to the inner space and that science team is researching that inner space. But the Institute of Noetic Sciences was founded by astronaut Edgar Mitchell. Nearly 50 years ago, Dr. Edgar Mitchell became the sixth person to walk on the moon. As a member of the Apollo 14 mission, his purpose was to conduct in-depth research on the lunar surface. As his mission came to an end, however, an entirely new purpose emerged for him, one that would define his life for decades to come and contribute to the awakening of the planet. As Mitchell's spaceship travelled back from the moon amidst the vast darkness of the cosmos, his eyes became fixated on the blue sphere we call home. As he neared Earth, he was enveloped by a profound sense of universal connectedness. In his own words, I realised that the story of ourselves as told by science, our cosmology, our religion, was incomplete and likely flawed. I recognise that the Newtonian idea of separate, independent, discrete things in the universe wasn't a fully accurate description. What was needed was a new story of who we are and what we are capable of becoming. Now, Dr. Mitchell's transformative experience led him to establish the Institute of Noetic Science, IONS for short in 1973. Mitchell understood that by applying the scientific rigor used in his explorations of outer space, we could better understand the mysteries of inner space, the space in which he felt an undeniable sense of interconnection and oneness. Sadly, Edgar Mitchell passed in 2016, but IONS continues his work to this day. The science team there use the power of science to explore our inner space, understand that both objective knowledge and subjective knowing are necessary for a more complete understanding. 
the mission of IONS is to reveal the interconnected nature of reality through scientific exploration and personal discovery. They trust that individuals who have had their own transformative experiences such as channeling or afterlife stories and encounters, and that's all of you who are listening, all of you who believe in the possibility of life after death or that there's something more, there's a deeper meaning to this life beyond the material. All of you can learn from their research at IONS, both their scientific experiments and their opportunities for personal discovery and gain a deeper understanding of your own purpose through working with them. IONS believe that by accessing that same sense of interconnectedness that Dr. Mitchell felt on his return from the moon, we can all contribute to an enhancing the quality of life on Earth. I'm going to leave you for now with this life-changing thought. Dr. Edgar Mitchell walked on the moon. But what felt more astonishing to him was his inner journey, his transcendent experience. Such a powerful lesson here that what we seek isn't out there, it's right here within, within you right now. If you've been inspired by this and want to know more about IONS, do go to season one of my White Shores podcast because it has interviews there with the science team and every interview is utterly absorbing. And do check the show notes with this episode for a special link that takes you to three free gifts from the Noetic Institute Research Library. And I'm so honoured because they're awarded exclusively to Teresa Chung readers or listeners. You don't have to pay a thing, just download your three free gifts. And remember, although you may not be an astronaut and may not travel into space, and meet the sun, moon, stars and beyond, you can meet them every night in your dreams and every day in your heart and with your thoughts and with your vision. Only in the darkness and your dreams can you truly see your stars.